Um, today we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Let's open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. Excuse me. And if you don't own a Bible, keep it. So, so John 15. We, we have been in this section of John where it's the I am sayings of Jesus. Seven times Jesus says, I am, and then he completes it. And I just want to review them with you because we're at the last one today. The last one is I am the true vine. But today, we have one over here that needs a Bible on this side, so just so you know. Um, I am the true vine, he tells us. But look, look at the seven I am sayings we've talked about for the last seven, eight weeks. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, which is sustenance. He is our sustenance. He's the one that feeds us, keeps us alive. I am the light of the world. He's taken us from darkness to light. He guides us with that light. Daryl just talked about that. I am the gate of the sheepfold, he said in John chapter 10. That's the idea of protection. I am the good shepherd, which he follows in chapter 10 with that. The idea of he leads us, he feeds us, he guides us, all of it. Jesus is the good shepherd. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Deliverance from death. Even if we die, we will live. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we talked last, last week about the exclusivity of Christianity that it is through Jesus Christ and him alone. This week is I am the true vine. Now understand, all of these are about relationship. If you walk through those again, you would see that they're all about a relationship you have. It's not, Christianity is not simply a, a statement of what I believe. It is a relationship I have with the living Lord, who is my bread of life. He is the light of the world. He guides me. He's the gate of the sheepfold. He's the, the good shepherd that guides me. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the one that gives me life in this life and the next. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the true vine. So today we're going to look at that one. And what we're going to see here is abiding in Christ will result in bearing fruit. Go to John chapter 15, verse 1. Abiding in Christ will result in bearing fruit. We're going to look at 1 through 11, but I'm just going to read verse 1 for a moment and ask a question. Verse 1. I didn't pray to ask God to guide us. Let's stop and do that. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your spirit who guides us. We ask for that guidance now, Lord, in your word. To bring us the truth, understanding, how to apply this to our daily lives. And in the end, how to honor you. So we thank you, Father. In Christ's name, we give praise. Amen. John 15, 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So let's stop there. It's, why true vine? Why does he say, I'm the vine? Why does he add the adjective true? Because if he's the true vine, what does that imply? There's false ones out there. And... I got to be careful with this statement, but what we'll see here is in the Old Testament, Israel was the vine, and Israel did not fulfill its purpose as the vine. So Christ has come as the fulfillment of what God intended. So let me, let me read to a passage, and I'm reading this. In, in, in Isaiah chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 5, 1 through 7. So, so stay with me for a moment here, just to show you how God chose Israel as the vine, but they failed to live up to it. So God had other plans. Isaiah 5, 1, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, 
and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Oh, now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done in it? When I looked for the yield, when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? I will remove its hedge. It will be devoured. I will break down its wall. It will be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall be pruned or hoed. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, that they rain, that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, outcry. Outcry, an idea of, of a, an outcry of, of a lack of justice. So here, here's what Jesus is saying. God had a purpose for Israel. And Jesus has come to fulfill that purpose. And that purpose is everyone who believes in Jesus, whether Jewish or Gentile, becomes part of the people of God. Everyone who trusts in him, they are part of the true vine. So that this is a, a Christ, it's all through the scriptures, Christ comes to fulfill all the purposes of Israel. He, he is the ultimate fulfiller of all the promises that were given to Israel. So this context is important as we interpret John 15. We need to look at it in light of Jesus is talking to these Jewish followers of his before we apply it to our day to day. So with that, let's jump into 15, chapter verse 2. After he says, I'm the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit, more fruit. So I want you to see this contrast. The vines, that branches that go into the main vine, those that bear fruit, he prunes. So think about what pruning is. Pruning is a clipping away of things so that more health can come into that branch. And we could, we could interpret that in our lives as, as this idea that God works in our lives. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's not always pleasant. But why does he do it? So we bear more fruit. But those who don't bear fruit, what does he do to them? Takes them away. That's a hard saying. We're going to come back to it in a minute. Because John has already stated very clearly in John chapter 6 and in John chapter 10 that if you genuinely believe in Christ, your salvation is secure. He will keep you. He'll never forsake you. So what does it mean here that if you are one of the branches that doesn't bear fruit, he takes you away. He cuts you off. Let's, let's go down and we'll, we'll come back to that question. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. There's our main verb. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is, it is, he is, can't read today. He it is that bears more fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's stop there for a moment. To abide in Christ, what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Christ? 
I said all of these I am sayings are relationships. The relationship words that, that this isn't just a cold set of beliefs we have. This is a savior we get to know. We're going to see that in two weeks in John 17, where Jesus says in his prayer, he says, Father, I have given them eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know him is to have a relationship with him. So the idea here of abiding in Christ and you'll bear fruit is I pursue Jesus. I yearn for him. I want to honor him. I want to please him. That's the relationship I have with him. And when I have my eyes on Jesus, what's the natural result? That's an easy one. <laughs> if you abide in the vine, what does the branch do? Produces fruit. If I'm pursuing Jesus, what's going to be the natural result of my life? My life will be reflective of the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of righteousness. So, so th this is about not me wanting to you know, really try and work up more fruit to get the energy to do it. It's about a heart that pursues Jesus. And if he is my focus, if he is my heart's desire, then my life will reflect that in the way I live. Does that make sense? So I never want to turn this into some legalism. Because we're talking about obedience in a moment. But we have to understand first, what does it mean to abide? And to abide is to be in pursuit of my Savior. And the end result is, I bear fruit. Let's go to verse 6, because verse 6 talks about those branches he cuts off. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. This, is, this goes back to verse 2. This is a hard one. This is, I can't say that I can solve it all today. I have to look at the big picture of the New Testament, specifically John. And that is that John told us in John 6, or Jesus told us, recorded in John 6, that all the Father gives to me will come to me. I will not cast any out. I will not lose any. I will raise them all up on the last day. So from Jesus' perspective, all the Father gives to him, every one of them, they can't walk away. They can't lose them. He won't cast them out but he will raise them up on the last day. Certainty. If you come to Christ in genuine faith, there's a certainty that at the end of time, you will be raised from the dead. God doesn't kick you out of his family. So what is this saying? And my struggle with this is the idea of a, a deep belief I have of what's called eternal security, the perseverance of the saints, that God does not send his children to hell. So I said to you, He's primarily speaking to Israelites here. Because often, in the midst of any tradition, whether it's Israel, whether it is whatever church you're raised in, if you're raised Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever it is, often we presume, oh, my whole history is in this belief system. Therefore, I must be good with God. You follow me? Because the Jews, the Jewish leaders said to Jesus, hey, Abraham's our father. We're good. Abraham's our father. And what did Jesus say back? If Abraham was your father, you'd believe in me. Actually, the devil is your father. You want to get yourself killed? <laughs> say that to the religious leaders of the day. Jesus' point is this, that your birth heritage doesn't guarantee your future. Trusting in me guarantees your future. And that trust 
is described as abiding in him. When you abide, you produce fruit. There's more for me. I need to work through this more. But that's right now where we're going to leave it. Verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. That's quite the statement. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And at the heart of this thing, and we don't have time to go into all this, but the idea of asking whatever you wish, wish it'll be done for you, the goal must be the glory of God. See, because the end result is God is glorified. When I'm abiding in Christ, my heart is to honor him, to glorify his Father. When I ask for something, because my goal is to honor the Father with that, Jesus says you'll get it. So that's something to check our prayers, why we're praying, what we're praying for, what is our motive, what are we trying to accomplish. And I, I only believe when I pray in Jesus' name, this is a previous sermon, I'm praying for his glory. Not a formula to get what I want. Verse 9. Or verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So how do you know you're a disciple of Jesus? By the fruit. You'll bear much fruit. I can't talk today. I know it's up here. It's just not coming out here. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And this is very important for me that my confidence that I'm a follower of Jesus in part must be how is, how, what does my life look like? Not what does my wife look like? What does my life look like? If I said that wrong. Okay. Um, the words aren't working today. Sorry, babe. Um, Thank you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now here's the next heart. John 15 is hard, by the way. John 15 is hard because we too, let me stop now. We too often are, we too often can get, I can get lackadaisical in my walk. And lackadaisical in my, in my diligence to follow Jesus. And when I do that, sometimes I go, oh, it doesn't matter what I do as long as I ask forgiveness, everything's okay. I never want to doubt God forgives us when we ask. I never want to doubt that. But what John 15 is telling us is, is to get serious and to have an active attitude of abiding in Jesus, and the end result is you'll bear fruit. Well, you know what some of that fruit is? Obedience. That I'll obey him. So let's keep reading. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you, you may have my joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So let's look at those close again because don't we also hear all the time God's love is unconditional. Am I the only one that's ever heard that? So, so God's love is unconditional. Is he claiming here it's actually conditional? When you obey, then he'll love you? Let's read it again. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's a very close connection between abiding in Christ, obeying him, and him loving me. 
So we have to be careful here. I, I tell you this regularly. I tend to take one thing from my sermon and discuss it with our staff on Wednesday afternoon. We have a staff meeting every Wednesday, and I bring something from the sermon, and we discuss it for our own personal devotional. And so this week I presented this. I said, is this conditional love? Does the Bible describe a conditional love? He'll only love you if you obey him. And Gabe, our youth director, said that because he had just finished teaching the, the youth group on the, um, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, his whole life is described by disobedience. He runs off and squanders his father's fortune. And what does the father do when the son comes back? He loves him. He always loved him. So there's lots of evidence that in Scripture that God's love is not conditional upon your obedience. But something that's being stated here about the idea of remaining in Christ, abiding in him, the fruit that comes out of my life is obedience, and then I remain in his love. So it needs some nuancing. It needs some study. It needs some prayer. So forgive me for not solving all the tension today. This is one of the beauties of the word of God is you can read things and you read, oh, I'm not sure what that means, let's move on. Even as pastors, I do that. Then I have to explain it to you. No, I can't move on. But what I want to walk away from is if we can take the overall biblical picture, God loves you. He loved you before you knew who he was. He loved you in your, the depths of your sin. Ephesians chapter 2 makes this so clear. It says, when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, you were children of wrath, sons of disobedience, it called you. Then it says in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 4, after three verses of describing your rebellious life, verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy and the great love with which he loved us, raised us up with Christ. So God's love was there when I was in great disobedience. So I cannot conclude God only loves you if you obey. Because for me, he'd love me this morning and not this afternoon, not this evening, maybe tomorrow morning. Because sometimes my days go like this in obedience. Yours too? Thanks for confirming me in that. <laughs> but we have to deal with what this says. There's an expectation of obedience being the fruit of abiding. So let's... let's So one of, the fruits of, of the, one of the fruits of abiding is obedience. I want to read to you Ezekiel 36 to show you the importance of obedience in relationship to following Jesus. If I, told you, I told you a moment ago that Israel did not fulfill God's purposes for them. And by the way, I, I'm not against Israel. I'm truly not, not as a nation today, not as a, I'm not, I'm not anti-Semitic. The people, of, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, were chosen by God for a purpose. He deeply loves them, and he has a purpose for them. For at the end of time, according to Romans 11, there'll be a great revival among the Jewish people. And they'll come to Jesus. It'll be a wonderful day. But in, in their disobedience, as that plays out, God creates a new covenant. You see, the old covenant, the one he created under Moses, did not change their heart. So he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Let me read to you three of the, re the results of this new covenant in your life, whether you're Jew or Gentile. If you believe in Jesus, this is what the new covenant does in your life. 
By the way, you know, when I say new covenant, you know what I'm talking about. When Jesus said the night he was betrayed, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. I'm making a new deal with you. We're under a new operating system. And here's what the new operating system. Ezekiel 36, 25. Yeah, on that day, that new covenant is enacted, which it was at the cross. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Forgiveness. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Talking about a hard heart is someone who disobeys, but a soft heart, a heart of flesh, is a heart that is, is soft to God, to obedience. This is regeneration. This is what's called being born again. You're made new. In verse 27, I will put my spirit within you, the Holy Spirit, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the new covenant talks about a forgiveness, a regeneration, being born again, and the spirit of God dwells in you. And the end result of this is you are now empowered to obey. Obedience is something that you should yearn for. It flows from the fact that you're forgiven, regenerated, and the Spirit lives in you. It's what's normal in the New Covenant. And Jesus is teaching us this in John 15. The relationship between love and obedience, we should never separate. I want you to think about on the human level. I want you to think about a husband and wife. So husbands, if your wife is not particularly kind to you today, do you stop loving her? Be very careful what you say. <laughs> no. There's a love I have for my wife that goes way deeper than whether today or tomorrow or yesterday she was kind to me. And by the way, she's always kind to me, so I shouldn't pick her as my example. Let's do parent-children. <laughs> Um, a child wants to please their parent. And especially small children, they want to please their parent. And, and the parent loves the child no matter what. But the child lives to bring pleasure and, and put a smile on their mom and dad's face. How many did sports with a coach? I, I, I had a dad that left when I was eight years old, never came back. And I had a stepdad that was a great man, but he didn't know how to be a father. He didn't know how to be a dad with me day to day. My coaches were the ones that did that. I played sports all the time. And I, I so wanted to please my coaches. And so the human relationship has lots of examples of love and obedience. And you know, it's not obeying to be loved. It's because you are loved, you obey. You get the difference? But listen to Jesus in John 14 before our passage. I'm going to read to you four verses. John 14, 15. They'll be on the screen. Just to cement in us the importance of obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. John 14, 15. 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus answered him, John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So a clear example of whether you really love Jesus 
is your heart towards obedience? And this is, um, this is one of those moments we stop and say, okay, God, let's talk. Because it says it five times in two chapters. If you love me, you will obey me. It's not talking about perfection. Perfection doesn't come until the resurrection. Until Christ raises us from the dead and removes all those imperfections and makes us genuinely new and takes, takes sin out of me. It's no longer even my presence. But until that day, we have a battle going on. Every moment of every day, do we not? So let me ask you this question. Have you been forgiven of your past sins? So they're not your master anymore. The guilt doesn't have to hold you. You, can, you confess them and he's released you, he's cleansed you. Have you been changed internally? It, it talks about all through the New Testament about this, that there, you have a new heart. You're born again. You're regenerated. You're a new person in Christ. In light of that, we're to live the new person. We put off the old, put on the new. Do you have the Holy Spirit who empowers you to obey? I'm just convinced on that one, it sounds like. That's next week's sermon, by the way, the Holy Spirit. Yes, you, if you have believed in Jesus, the Spirit of God resides in you. He's the one who changed you. He's the one that gave you that new heart and washed you clean of your sins. Now he empowers you to obey. And here's why I'm, I'm laboring on this, because the rest of the passage we're going to fly through. Here's why I'm laboring on this. I hear it all the time. Well, we're, we're primarily just sinners, so we have to disobey. That is not biblical. It is not. But when you tell yourself that, how are you going to live? If you tell yourself, all I am is a sinner and I have no power to obey, you're going to disobey all the time. But if we tell ourselves the biblical truth, that we've been washed clean, we have been made new, and we have the Spirit of God who dwells in us to empower us, and we have the community to support each other, then I don't have to give in to those temptations anymore. They are not my master. They don't own me. I'm owned by the Savior, and it's He who I love. And I will live a life to honor Him. Now, then when I do, and then 1 John chapter 2 says this, that I write these things to you, little children. The same author is here. I write these things to you, little children, that you might not sin. So that's his expectation that we don't continue to sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I want you to keep that passage in mind because it says you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is your advocate. When you do give in, it's not that you've blown it and he's kicked you out. He advocates for you before his Father. That word advocate is the same word in John 14, 15, 16 that our translations translate the Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The exact same word. And Jesus says, I go away, I'm going to send you another helper, another advocate that lives with you and empowers you. That's next week's message. Don't miss it. Bearing fruit is multifaceted. We can look at multiple passages what bearing fruit means, but it always involves obedience. So with that, now we're going to fly. Abiding in Christ will result in loving one another. Verse 12. So if you're to obey his commandments, look at the new commandment he gives you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So usually when we say, oh, Matthew, I work with Matthew, I love Matthew. I do, I do just about anything for Matthew. I, I'm growing, I'm growing. But it's seldom do I verbalize that as, Matthew, I'll die for you. 
Now, we don't live in a world that's necessary. But so far, <laughs> Jesus did. Because he died for his friend. And he called his friends to die for another, which is evidence of love. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you have, will love one another. So in this case, I think the fruit that will abide is these guys went out and shared the gospel with the world they knew, and what happened? It changed the world. Think about this. Think about this. This, this backwater new religion started in Jerusalem and Judea. Within one full generation, it's in Rome. And hundreds and hundreds of people. This is the other end of the empire. It starts in one full generation. It has made it to the capital of the empire. By the second century, a hundred years later, there are tens of thousands of Christians because these apostles loved one another and shared the gospel and their fruit remains. And you, if you're in this room today and you believe in Jesus, you are their fruit. Has it remained? Gloriously so. I mean, think, think about this. Christianity is still the largest religion in the world, as far as adherents, people who claim to be. It's very unique in other ways, too. Often, say, criticism of Christianity is this. Well, Christianity is primarily just a white man's religion. And you'll see that in writing. You'll see it by the critics. But guess what? There are more females that believe than men. There are more non-white people in Christianity than white people. So who's the least demographic in Christianity? White males. Because Christianity has gone to the whole world and embraced, as Jesus says in Revelation, that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented in the new heavens and new earth. And what a great day that will be. So let's keep going. We talked several weeks ago about loving one another and the sacrifice we make. I want to I drop down to verse, um, oh, verse 18. Because abiding in Christ, which will then cause you to obey, which will then, and one of the obedience is loving your neighbor, loving your brother. Abiding in Christ will result in hostility from the world. Verse 18, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But in all things they will do to you, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So I want to stop there. There's a lot to read there. If we abide in Christ, and that abiding changes who I am, and it results in a fruit that I bear, and part of that fruit is obedience, and one of the things he commands me to obey is to love you, and to live a life even to where I would die for you, and you would die for me. That's a radical world. 
And if we do that, Jesus says the world's going to hate us just like they hated him. Right now, we have been blessed for the last couple hundred years in the Western world to where this hatred is very um, under the surface. It's there. There's opposition, but it's not seen as direct opposition of persecution. That might be changing. I, I think maybe we could ask the question, we should ask the question, if I'm not at odds with, the, if the world is not at odds with me, is it because I'm not really abiding and loving and obeying? That's a question each of us has to ask. But know this, when the opposition comes against us, is it worth it? Is it worth it to abide in Christ, to pursue him as my savior, above all, to love my savior? And the fruit that flows from that relationship will be obedience even when the rest of the world is disobeying. And your obedience is highlighted by their disobedience. And you live your life in a sacrificial way where you love one another and you love your neighbor, you even love your enemies. Then the world comes against you. Is it worth it? When you do start a business, you do a thing called cost analysis. Jesus tells us to do a cost analysis on our faith. So I'm going to read these words, and then we'll pray. This comes from Luke, actually, not John. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That is harsh. It's interesting when you read the same passage in Matthew, Matthew changed it. You must love me more than your mother, father, children, brothers, and sisters. Jesus loved hyperbole. Jesus loved to exaggerate to make his point. Luke, I think, records Jesus' exact words. Because these words would shock you if you were listening to him. Matthew, I think, interprets them for us, that to hate means to love more. He uses a very strong thing because we're not to hate anybody, according to the scriptures. But nonetheless, we have to let it say what it says. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross, I almost said sword, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These are words you go home and meditate on. It's calling for absolute total commitment. The cost analysis of following Jesus is I give him my everything. I, I like to use the phrase when, I, when I'm talking to a young believer or a person who's not a Christian but is thinking about the Christian faith. I tell him this. I say, 
According to scripture, salvation is a free gift. It's by God's grace. He freely gives you this beautiful gift called salvation. And he only asks one thing from you in response. Your entire life. So the free gift that you and I receive has a calling to where I give him everything. And that's what it means to abide in Christ. We're all on a journey. When I read these kind of passages, I go, oh God, I have failed so bad. I have fallen so far short. That's when I quote my mind first on two. If any of you do sin, we have an advocate with Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. But also then listen to the rest of scripture that says the spirit has empowered you to live a life that honors your savior and bear fruit. So I recommit myself to that. So today, if that's what you need to do, if you're in a place where you realize, look back and go, you know, this last week has not been one of abiding. It's been one of selfishness, sin, whatever it is. The beauty of our savior is recommit. Stop today and say, Lord, I've been reminded of your word today, the truth. That you have forgiven me, you have changed who I am, you've empowered me with your spirit. I'm recommitting once again to pursue you with a love that pales compared to your love for me, but a love that drives me to you. And the fruit of that will be a life that honors him. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for your word today. Many hard things, some things I don't fully understand, Lord. Ask for your spirit to guide us in this, to teach us, to remind us during the week of these verses. of Some of the very hard things Jesus says to us. Um, we thank you, Lord, though, for your word. We thank you that you gave us a mind to understand and a spirit that guides us and the people of God in our lives to, to talk about this. So thank you. Father, we want to be fruit bearers and fruit that remains. Individually in this room, in this church as a whole, in the leadership of this church, God, guide us. Give us the specific things of the fruit we are to bear in this community. Because we want that fruit to remain for your glory. We thank you.